Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Ariana and she talks me through her two pregnancies and births. Ariana opted to go down the home birth route on her first pregnancy, but due to a very long labour that didn't progress the way they expected to, she was transferred to hospital and later had a C-section. On her second pregnancy, she decided to prepare a lot more both mentally and physically. She had a C-section with her second pregnancy as well, but she said it was a completely different experience in comparison to her first because she was a lot more prepared. I really enjoyed listening to Ariana just talk us through all the details of her journey and she has a really, really positive outlook on both experiences. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Ariana, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Ariana, and for anyone who's familiar with well-fed photography or the book of breastfeeding stories that we're doing, um, I'm the documentarian and artist behind that. And I am married to an amazing Irishman. If you can't tell, I'm from America originally, but married to an amazing Irishman named Garrett. And I have two children. Um, One is nearly four and the other one is nearly one and a half. So just bring us back to what you're doing interviewing all these women. So I've heard a touch of it. So I just love to hear more of an insight and what your plan is to do with the interviews. Yes. So actually, my business itself and then also the book were both born out of, um, I guess, being inspired by having my children and breastfeeding my children. So well-fed photography itself was born after my son was. I call it my my business baby. that's a good way of putting it, actually, because yes. a lot of us can relate to that. Exactly. And then after having my daughter, that was when the book was born. So the book idea came about in the middle of the night when I was feeding her. I think it was around 4 a.m. And I just really heard this voice within me that said, it's time. It's time for you to do this. And I knew exactly what it meant. And I was meant to do this project because I was inspired by a book that my aunt was in. So there was a photographer that followed different Western ranching women in the States. And even though it wasn't about breastfeeding, there was a photograph of my aunt in the book and she was breastfeeding my cousin, Sarah. 
and it left such a huge impact on my life. So I wanted to bring that to Ireland and give Ireland the gift of having that, of having um, this time in, in history captured, like where we are with breastfeeding and where we're going and um, just to have even the children that are captured in the book for them to one day grow up and hopefully it will be quite normal because they would have just seen it, you know, whether it's a book on uh, the coffee table or if it's seeing photographs of their mom feeding them. I just hope to bring a bit of normalization to it all. Yeah, gorgeous. It's not actually published yet. You're still working away on it, aren't you? Yes, we're still working on it. So I'd actually okay. hoped it was going to be out this year. But with everything that's gone on with the pandemic, yeah. it's really changed the timeline, but actually in the best way, because what it meant was I was able to do a lot of the interviews during the first lockdown. So I was able to make connections with these women to hear their stories, um, to be able to empathize with the things that they've experienced and gone through before showing up at their homes to photograph them. So yeah. it was a nice transition instead of trying to do it all at once. And um, I think it would have just felt overwhelming in that way. So actually, I'm happy with the way things have been unfolding. Um, we were just finishing up the photographing part of it as we entered in the second lockdown. So I've had to put that on hold for the moment, but we are so happy with the way that, that things are going and with all the perspectives that we're capturing. We are still mm -hmm. looking for um, individuals from the traveling community that have experienced breastfeeding okay. and also um, people who don't identify as women, but have chest fed. Um, or if they choose to use the word breastfeeding, breastfed. Uh, those are the two perspectives that we still just haven't captured, but a lot of the other perspectives are now uh, within the book. So we're delighted with that. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually dying to see it. And hopefully considering the breastfeeding rates that we've just seen in Ireland, it will be give women a nice little insight into breastfeeding journeys. I hope it will. Like I hope it would just um, demystify it a bit and make it seem more approachable mm. because I think if it's something you haven't experienced yourself, it can seem a bit daunting or scary or anything unknown seems a bit scary at first. But I think if you take even a few little steps, whether it's seeing a photograph or reading someone's stories and experiences, it makes it less scary and it makes it more relatable. So I hope that it will also make it seem more possible for a lot of people. Gorgeous. Looking forward to it. Thank you. So let's dive into your first pregnancy. Was that pregnancy planned? Yes, it absolutely was. Now, it didn't happen immediately, but okay. um, basically in 2015, January 2015, it was like the switch just flipped for me and I went from not really caring about having children. I knew that one day I would become a mother, but it wasn't like this really strong instinct within me. You know, some people know even from the time that they're little children that they're gonna be moms one day. And that really wasn't there for me until 2015 and that switch got turned on completely. But I didn't actually end up conceiving until May, 2016. So it took a while there and it was completely unexpected to me. You know, I guess from what I had learned growing up and any sexual education that I had, I just assumed that it was going to happen immediately. We were young, we were healthy, no major medical issues. And so I was really taken aback by the fact that it didn't happen um, as quickly as we'd hoped. So, you know, we went to the GP to see if anything was wrong or if there was anything that we could do to assist the process. And ultimately we were told, you know, just like, 
have a hug and uh, have sex three times a week. That was the information we received from the GP. And eventually, just as we were talking about going down the adoption route, we ended up conceiving naturally. Like I was actually, I had my parents, they were over visiting Ireland. We were having the conversation when we were down in Kerry that, you know, maybe we would adopt. And then a few days later, I got the, the positive pregnancy test. So there was, it was like the day before they were due to leave the country to go back home. Oh, that's cool. So I was able to celebrate that, that fantastic news with them. And then from there, Brilliant, yeah. I think for anyone who has struggled to conceive, they want to give their child the absolute best. So that's where you do the research about uh, what's the best way to give them, um, you know, healthy natural birth or to breastfeed them or um, you know you just go down that route of trying to research because you want to be so careful it's something that has been so long awaited for so by the time it finally actually happens you just are so careful at least I was and so I really wanted to have a, a natural birth and so I kind of tiptoed my way towards the home birth. I was kind of seeing how comfortable my husband would be with it. So initially I said, oh, how about we try a water birth at the coom? And then eventually I just said to him, you know, what I really want is a home birth. And he was skeptical at first, but once he did the research, he was completely on board. And that was the path that we chose to continue on. So I actually transitioned over to Hollis Street at that stage and went with the community midwives to have the home birth. But what I didn't understand at the time was the power of visualization. And so what I did is rather than visualizing the, that natural birth, seeing that happen, I did a little visualization around that, you know, seeing baby come up to the chest. But I guess I had so many fears around having the cesarean that when I did the hospital tour, like even if you're going for a home birth, you can still do the hospital tour. And so when I saw the room that I could potentially be giving birth in, I started doing positive visualization around what would happen if I did transfer to hospital and what would happen okay. if that was the route that I had to go down. And that's actually what ended up happening to me. So I had the 18 hours that we're allowed once the waters break. Um, to, to be able to be at home and be laboring. And my labor was incredibly intense. Like basically my waters broke in the middle of the night and I just assumed like I had the big gusher that you see in the movies and I thought that would stop, but essentially it did not stop. And my husband said, oh, it's fine. Like the baby's head will act as a cork, you know, all of it will stop, but it didn't. It just kept going. And so that was, Sorry, had yep. you contacted your midwife at that stage to let her know what position you were in? So, no, what happened was my prior, um, the prior appointment that I had um, was the week before. And they were saying that baby was sort of engaged, but not fully, fully engaged. And they said, oh, we'll set up an appointment for next Wednesday. And I said, the baby's not going to be in next Wednesday. And they said, um, well, we think the baby is going to be in, in next Wednesday. So we'll book in an appointment, but Wednesday was fully booked. So they had to book a midwife for Tuesday instead. It just so happens that Tuesday morning at 4am was when I went into labor. So I already knew a midwife was coming around that morning. So I basically just okay. left it as was, but I suppose the point of, um, the, the water is not stopping was the fact that his head really wasn't as engaged as should have been. 
So I, I ended up walking to Hollis Street. We lived in Rathmines at the time. Uh, walked to Hollis Street and got checked out because they still make you go in and have the checks even if you're having the home birth. So went in and they said, do you want a sweep? That'll just bring the contractions about. And this was in 2017. So really, I think they don't give sweeps if, you're, um, if your waters have broken now. But at the time, they offered that to me. And I said, yeah, I mean, sure, like it's going to speed things up. That's fine. They kind of slowed down a bit at that stage anyway. Well, how many weeks were you at this stage? Um, so I was 39 plus four, 39 plus okay. three, somewhere thereabouts. So um, my son and my daughter both ended up being born 39 plus four. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> but I basically walked home and the contractions started ramping up basically right after we left the hospital, like while still walking home. And then they got incredibly intense. And I'm not sure if it was the sweep or using the Clary Sage or if it was just what was meant to be. But I was basically having minute on minute off contractions for hours. And I thought it was much further along than I really was. Um, when the midwife called around, she she basically told me I wasn't even technically in labor yet, even though I was having that experience of the minute on, minute off contractions. And at one stage, uh, one of the midwives took my husband into the living room and just said, you know, she really, by the way, she's laboring should be at like seven, but she's still not even really technically in labor. So I think she was preparing him for the fact that we would likely transfer to hospital, but I knew none of this because I didn't want to know a number. I didn't want to be attached to a number, but because mm. the contractions had been so strong for so long and um, I had actually taken an active birth workshop. So I was active during the whole thing. I was on the birthing ball. I was doing lunges over it on my yoga mat. I never really stopped moving. I would do squats. And I have to say that moving was the best thing for me throughout all of the labor. It really made me feel empowered. I felt not in control is probably the wrong word, but it was something that I felt I could sustain. I felt like I was okay going through the labor while I could move. It, was it when, sounds like that's where your focus was rather the intensity of the contractions and the labor itself. Exactly. So to move was me going with it in a way, whereas whenever they would ask to check me and I'd have to lie on the bed and have them check me, that was excruciating. So for me, moving was the be absolute best thing. It felt so good to be able to move. And um, it, it's so funny because uh, they do all of these checks, of course, along the way when you're pregnant. And specifically for the home birth at the five month mark, I believe it was, they come around and they do the home birth consent. So they send a midwife to your home. She checks out your home. You ask questions if you have questions and you basically sign off that you're happy to proceed with the home birth. And that for whatever reason, the midwife that called around that day, I just knew she was going to be my, my midwife when I had my son. And initially a different midwife showed up to the house and I probably gave her the worst look in the world because I was in labor. I was expecting someone else and then that someone else wasn't there, but here this woman was. But it turns out actually that whenever she went off of her shift, the woman that I had expected to be my midwife was the woman who came to our door. And I was delighted. I felt so safe with her. Um, she was a very calming presence. She just kind of sat in the background. She took notes about when my contractions would start and end. 
she never once was in my face because that wasn't what I wanted. I didn't really want a lot of coaching. I just wanted to be in the zone. And at that stage, I couldn't have been anywhere else really, but she was exactly what I needed. And she was such a source of support. Her name was Emily. And um, basically we did have to, to go to hospital because I had the 18 hours and I hadn't progressed. And in fact, I still didn't know the number until we got to the hospital. I was in the room I'd actually visualized being in. And then I heard her say to the doctor, one centimeter. And that's when I sat up and was like, what? <laughs> because for me, you know, I, I was having the contractions that were so strong and so close together. I had vomited a few times. So in my mind, I was at the transition phase. Yeah. And that is not where I was, uh, I guess, physically. But, you know, it, part of me was there, but the other part of me wasn't. I, I hadn't opened up enough. So that was a shocker for me. And at that stage, Do you feel that that threw off your focus then. Yes. I remember at one stage I was, you know, in the hospital bed, which is not what I wanted. It, and they had a flower. I think it was a lotus flower in the room, just directly in front of the bed. And I remember thinking I should be visualizing opening up like this flower, but I just can't seem to bring myself to that space at the moment. So yes, I had to kind of, I guess, move my focus in a different direction. And I had to think about different ways of bringing about this baby and, and giving birth. So I accepted um, the drip to try to speed things up again, even though I was already having the contractions that were quite strong. Um, and at that stage, because I was so tired from the intense labor, I accepted the drip and I also accepted the epidural, which I hadn't intended either. Um, you know, I'd gone to do the active birth workshop. I had done the research. It was not part of my quote unquote plan, but it was the right choice for me at the time. And actually with the way everything transpired, I'm very happy that I went with having the epidural. You must so, have been exhausted by the time you reached the hospital. I, I was, and I have to say, just before we transferred, uh, I remember being on the birthing ball and the most comforting thing was um, Emily had my husband sit behind me on the edge of the bed and he had his legs around either side of me and I could kind of be on the ball and be upright, but I still had his support behind me. And I was just having to do that because I would do squats to try to keep the contractions going. And then we need to sit down and kind of have a rest and, and rest with him behind me. So I think actually, funnily enough, like I didn't realize this was happening, but he had been filling up the birthing pool at home and preparing that. And I think whatever the midwife took him aside, he kind of stopped and shifted his focus as well to be able to be there to support me through the physical labor, which I hadn't really needed before. I just kind of wanted to be on my own listening to music. And um, yeah, so when we got into the hospital, it was just it was just such a different environment. You know, it's so different from being at your home. And I have to say that as much as it's not what I expected, I'm so glad that I had at least the 18 hours at home to be in my own environment, to be surrounded by things that were comfortable to me, to be able to move around as much as I wanted to during that time. And I totally get why uh, people that coach around birthing or that teach the active birth shop classes encourage people to stay home as long as is possible so that they can be in that nurturing environment rather than the hospital lights and things like that but 
Mm-hmm. I was very blessed again in that regard that Emily turned off the lights. She had it very dark. She really held that safe space for me, even though we were in the hospital. And I, I just can't thank her enough for all that she did. And it was when she left to go on her lunch break, you know, at whatever AM in the morning it was, that things were different for us too. Like we, we started getting indications that the heart rate was not coming back up as steadily after contractions. And there was kind of a student midwife or someone who had come on and she was monitoring things. And we had to do the oxygen test to make sure that my son was okay. And, you know, when you go from having that really, that that person you've built the trust with, that you've bonded with, and you're going through this incredibly vulnerable thing. And now you've got someone new coming in who's telling you that things might not be as okay as you'd hope they'd be. Um, I don't know, like for us. Yes. So a midwife and then they go on their lunch or they leave and then everything just changes for them. Um, So it's, it's great to hear that they have that connection, but it's also sad to hear that there's an immediate effect when they do leave and that their space is completely changed. Uh, yes, so it's, it's really interesting, actually. Yes. Well, and for us, you know, we because Emily was only on her lunch break, we knew she'd be coming back. And so they were trying to press us to make a decision as in, you know, like head to have a cesarean right now or like to move things along faster than we were ready to move things along without seeking some guidance from Emily. And so we just held off. We felt we were safe enough to hold off until she returned and then we talked about our options from there and I have to say like the whole while that the epidural was kind of working but I could still feel the contractions too so I I felt connected I was trying to sit upright in the in the bed I was trying to do all the things to still progress and keep it going in a positive direction but um yeah it was I don't know it was just that moment that hour that things had been shifted around and it was a different person it was different energy that um we just kind of weathered the storm I guess you could say until we had that sense of security and calm and peacefulness come back into our lives in the form of the midwife that we had the connection with so she came back and just like I said she she smoothed things over she talked to us um, about our options in a very educational kind of way and in a very respectful way it was never pushy it was always an invitation for us to to make our own decisions based on the information we had been given. And I think when you're in that situation, that is really the best that you could hope for is that you have someone who educates you, but also mm-hmm. respects your own autonomy. So yeah. um, eventually, you know, she confirmed what the other midwife had found and that we probably were heading towards a section. So we started uh, doing the paperwork that's involved with that. And we kind of knew that my husband was not up for being in surgery. So he actually went home to grab the the ice blocks and everything for the placenta that we had planned to keep. And then Emily stayed with me. So she was with me when my son was born and she was so excited. Like it was just, it was the most amazing thing because her excitement was so palpable she she ran out to get my husband and bring him back in and she was so excited she forgot to put him in scrubs so she had to turn him back around and put him in scrubs and bring him back in um and 
she was so excited for us. And I don't even know how she managed all of that excitement because we have been through so many different things. She was there with us and she was also coming to the end of her own shift. So she had been with us from the prior evening all the way to that morning. And she was probably, I don't know, 10 minutes or so from going off of the shift before my son was born. So we really just like had him in the nick of time to be able to also have her there with us. So incredibly blessed. Um, I have to say the feelings after giving birth were that I didn't give birth, if, if that makes sense. So it's such a, it's such a different feeling because so much of your body is numb. I couldn't see anything because it wasn't a planned cesarean. It, I didn't have the options of the gentle cesarean, you know, having the curtain lowered and it wasn't an, it wasn't necessarily an emergency, but it was, it was, we didn't have time to, to make it a soft cesarean as I'd call it, or like a, uh, a gentle cesarean. So what was the main reason why they actually decided to go ahead with the C-section in the end? So basically after putting me on the drip for another eight hours, they, I still only got to like two or three centimeters. I think saying three okay. centimeters was like, um, them trying to, to help things along or help me feel like I'd gotten further than I probably had. Cause they were like, she's like at a two or three. Um, and she's been in labor for at that stage, 26 hours and mm. his heart rates not coming back up. You know, it's, it's kind of normal for them to have a slower heart rate initially, but it was getting a bit slower than they would like to see. So uh, that was real. Those were the contributing factors that led towards going the cesarean route. And at that stage, I'd labored so hard. I had had the drip. I was exhausted. I hadn't eaten because what I didn't realize is the day before I went into labor, I basically had what felt like a Braxton Hicks contraction, but that just never let go. So it felt like my stomach had contracted for hours on end. So like what I had eaten came straight back up and I wasn't able to really eat anything until later that evening when my husband brought home some, some crackers. And so basically I was laboring on not a lot of um, energy from food and didn't have a lot of sleep either. So I, I totally accepted that that was the route that was, that that was the correct path for us. And I'm so thankful because I know obviously that, in a lot of countries, Ireland included, the cesarean rate is quite high. It's higher than what it needs to be. The rates here do show that people are probably receiving, um, I guess, interventions that are unnecessary that are leading them to having the cesarean. But also there, what I was reading afterwards was if it's 10% or below, you're also probably losing people at that stage. So I'm very happy that we had the cesarean. I'm very happy that I, I'm here and that my son's here, but that also isn't to say that there weren't things to process from the birth experience. Yeah. And um, one thing I was touching on before was that I didn't really feel like I had birthed him. There was this, such a separation. I didn't see him be birthed. They said he might not cry because he's being born by cesarean, uh, but he did cry, thankfully. So I was able to hear that. Uh, even though I couldn't see him, I was able to hear that. And I could kind of just see him over to the side where they were checking him out. And they came around and they put him on my cheek very quickly before then whisking him off to go somewhere else, I guess, maybe to my husband. And my husband had him for that first hour while I was getting sewn up and going to recovery. But it was just such a, I, it took me a long time to process that, yes, I had actually birthed him 
maybe it was with assistance through surgery, but many people receive assistance, even if it's in the form of Von Tuss or, um, you know, even in the form of a really skilled midwife being able to change the um, the way that baby's coming out of the birth canal, or yeah. there are all sorts of types of assistance. So I had to be very kind to myself and, and really build up my own self-confidence again around my body and what it was capable of. And thankfully breastfeeding really helped me with that because it did work. And I remember asking prior to giving birth, if I'd be able to have my baby in recovery, should I end up having a cesarean? And they said, it really depends on the circumstances because if they've had someone there that's lost a baby, they don't want to be insensitive by bringing a baby in. I was so lucky because I was the only person there and I was able to have my baby with me. I was able to feed him there. I didn't really know what I was doing. (laughs) I didn't know how to, I remember like Googling later, like on YouTube, trying to see the latch because you do so much preparation for labor and delivery and then you kind of forget that as soon as baby's out like you're a parent and you're responsible for feeding this baby and changing nappies and uh, all of the stuff that it should seem commonsensical but actually sometimes it doesn't hit you until you've actually given birth like oh my goodness like this baby's out this baby's mine like um so I remember exhausted from everything (laughs) as well everything's just pretty foggy for those first few days isn't it Yes, absolutely. And that's why I say that as much as the epidural wasn't part of my plan, I'm so happy that I had it because at least it did lighten things a bit. It allowed me Mm. to rest. I wasn't, you know, fully asleep resting, but I was able to rest in comparison to the really intense contractions that I had had before. So while I'm super grateful I was able to experience labor, because I've also spoken to women who have never experienced a labor pain. They've got children, but they never experienced a labor pain and they feel like they've missed out on part of their womanhood for that reason. So I'm so grateful that as intense as it was, I was able to feel that intensity. I was able to Mm. own that intensity. I was able to move through it and it in and of itself, even if I didn't get the vaginal delivery, being able to feel the power go through my body and be able to go through labor was such an empowering experience. Like I was as it didn't go to plan, but I remember telling people afterwards, like, I'm so ready to have that experience again. I'm so ready to. How would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study? People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Experience labor again and, and see what that feels like. And you know, I think in our culture it's so common for people to be afraid of those feelings, to be afraid of labor, pains, contractions, waves, whatever you want to call it. But I didn't feel that way at all. I felt very much alive and empowered by them. And so I was excited to experience it whenever it should come again. Um, so yes, yeah, so I had my son and we were in recovery. We established breastfeeding there. Um, didn't necessarily have the latch right. So we had to work on that. But other than that, it was very smooth. And it allowed me to feel that sense of trust and, and self-assurance within my own body that yes, actually I might not have had the delivery that I expected. Maybe my body didn't have the natural vaginal delivery, but I can feed him. I can hold him. I can nurture him. I can have skin to skin. There were so many other things that I could focus on that I was capable of. And so again, it, it took time to process the actual birth. But luckily, breastfeeding worked and it it sparked so many other things. There's so many things in my life now that are that are here because of breastfeeding that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And did you get the support of a lactation consultant to help with the latch? No. So I have to say I was very lucky that because I was on the the community midwife scheme, I still, despite the cesarean, had the midwives call around to our house up to, I think it's seven seven to 10 days after giving birth. So I went home on the third day and they called around the few days after that and just assisted me, you know, told me to, um, to put the cabbage leaves on my engorged breast, gave me pointers, put cushions under my feet so I was sitting in a in in a way that was more comfortable for feeding reminded me to put my shoulders down and breathe and just enjoy it those are some of the best pieces of advice that they gave me so I'm very lucky that yes I didn't have the home birth but I had the support after giving birth from the community midwives that helped breastfeeding uh, be even stronger for us it was it was easier we could see if the latch was correct we could adjust it and I would have gone to a few La Leche League meetings as well afterwards. Um, so I had a bit of that support too, thankfully. Really nice then, way to meet other mothers as well, actually. Yeah, it's just, it's it's nice to meet other mothers that are kind of aligned with your own parenting choices. Because there are, mm-hmm. there's such a vast array of 
ways to parent and to be a parent. And um, it was nice to be able to, to chat with people who were also interested in breastfeeding or who it was important to them as well. And yeah, I mean, I found that building my community around me was so crucial to successful anything to do with motherhood yeah. because I had friends of friends drop around breast shells to me, like a woman that at the time I didn't even know she was a friend of a friend, went to the pharmacy, got breast shells for me, dropped them around to the house because we, we couldn't find any in Rathmines. And so we were hugely blessed. She's now a great friend, but it was things like that, like being from a different country, I had to build community around me because I didn't have my family here with me. And luckily I come from a breastfeeding back background. So I knew that, but I didn't have, you know, my mother calling around to see how things were doing. I didn't have her to see the latch or to assist me in that regard. So I really just had to make my own supportive village, if you will. Yeah, I think it's absolutely vital. And I don't think we realize how much it connects women until we're in it, until we're in the depths of it, I suppose. Absolutely. So let's get into your second pregnancy. Was that pregnancy planned? It's <laughs> so at the time I was, um, oh, this is the first time this is coming out. So at the time I, I had started well-fed photography and I was so happy to have it because I didn't want to go back to traditional employment, but also on the side, I was coaching and training estate agents. And um, so I had that employment as well, if you will, it's kind of a contracting arrangement. And as much as it wasn't planned in the way that, you know, my husband and I sat down and we said, okay, we're having a baby right now. The month before we conceived, I really opened myself up to it. So no one else knew it was the plan. It wasn't out there in the open. Um, but I wasn't surprised whenever we conceived, I was actually really excited. And in comparison to our first story, so if you remember, I told you my parents were over here in Ireland when I found out that I was pregnant. Well, I had gone to the States with my husband and my son and my son ended up being very ill. He had RSV and we had taken them to uh, my own pediatrician from when I was a little girl to, to check over him to see how he was doing. And that's whenever we found out he had RSV. Mm. And so he was due to go in to have his chest x-rayed. And I just had this feeling that I did not need to go in. Uh, so I told my husband, I said, you, you need to be the one to go in with him. And I'm so glad that I did because a few days later, while I was there visiting my family in the States, um, we got our, our positive pregnancy test. So I was so excited. I was like dancing around the place, just absolutely delighted and so happy that it happened where I could tell my family because I had this vision of sitting around my, my aunt's table, which is where we have all of our big family dinners, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I envisioned all of my aunts and uncles being around that table for me to be able to say that we were expecting our second baby. Now I had no, obviously like coming into the States, I had no reason to believe that I was pregnant. I had no evidence of it, but I had had this vision, which is why I say again, that I wasn't totally surprised that it, that I ended up having the positive pregnancy test, but it just worked out that actually my aunt had flown in from New Mexico, the same aunt that's in the book breastfeeding. She had flown in from New Mexico to surprise us. 
And then my aunt and uncle who were from Texas, but were down in Florida at the time, flew up for lunch that day because my uncle's a pilot. And it was the the absolute perfect, um, like all of these came, all of these things came together to where I did have my family around me to be able to tell them this fantastic news. And I was so delighted. And then I have to say, my parents were quite worried about me giving birth again because I wanted to have the natural birth again, of course. I wanted that opportunity to experience the the vaginal delivery and they really wanted me to to go the cesarean route again so it was this huge level of excitement met with their own fears about how I would be able to handle this pregnancy and this labor and delivery so very mixed emotions going back Mm -hmm. home and I it took me a while to get over that it took me a while to to move past the the fear that they kind of placed within me as well that maybe actually I couldn't do this. So we came back home. Luckily, I was working with a fantastic personal trainer to get my body strong again from having the previous delivery. And I had been working with her a few months ahead of conceiving. And I really wanted to work with her to get my body strong again, to be able to carry another baby within me. And I have to say, working with her made the pregnancy so smooth. Like I've never felt better. I've never felt more alive or full of energy. And I truly think it was from working with her throughout that pregnancy and just before conceiving that made all the difference. And it also meant that my recovery was so easy as well. So I don't know if you want me to walk you through that birth story, but I'm happy to share. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, so I know so you I, wanted to keep things as natural as possible. So were you considering going down the home birth route again? I considered the home birth, but we had moved. So we we now live in Kilcock County, Kildare. So I'm much further away than when I was in Rath Mines. I was like, you know, a 20 minute walk, five minute drive from Hollis Street. So it felt I felt much safer being there than here only because I'd had the cesarean before. So I I did um, look into the private midwives and I thought about it and I really just thought, you know what, my best option, the option that feels right for me is to go through Deirdre Murphy at the Coombe because I knew she was very supportive of VBACs and I'd actually had two friends have their successful VBACs under her care. So that is what happened. I signed up through the Coombe and was assigned her without even asking. So that was another huge blessing. And I just found her to be so incredible. Like her reputation is 100% um, accurate. Like all of the wonderful things that you hear about her is so true. So she, again, respected us completely, talked us through our options, talked us through the statistics and what we're looking at as possibilities for having the VBAC. Um, She educated us the full way through, but also saw us as human beings that wanted to make this choice, human beings as in, you know, me and my husband making this decision together. So um, she never once uh, balked at any questions that we had around safety or, you know, what would this be like? You know, if we go through this situation, what is that path? Like, what does that look like for us? And she completely took her time with us and, and talked us through that. So I felt really comfortable with her and under her care. And I was completely open to having the vaginal delivery, but I also knew from the first experience that if I had to have another cesarean, 
it was not the worst thing in the world that I could do it and that I could recover from it. And so I was going into it with a much more positive perspective. Um, my own mindset had shifted a lot from the first birth, as in I was just in a much more positive space altogether. I had gone through a lot of transformation and, you know, just investing a lot in myself to, to feel the best that I could about myself, whether it was through the personal training or mentoring. So it wasn't just the birth preparation. It was all of that playing into having a very positive experience. And um, we, we ended up like, <laughs> I, I had very high fluid with my son and they thought I had gestational diabetes with him. So they tested me like very late in pregnancy, maybe 38 weeks or something. And I didn't have gestational diabetes, but again, I had high fluid levels and they tested me like three or four times in my second pregnancy to see if I had gestational diabetes. And at 37 and a half weeks, they did the test where they do three different tests. And the second one, I came back like 0.01 over what I should have had as my numbers. And the next appointment, I saw someone on Deirdre's team. So it wasn't actually Deirdre. And she was like on the phone, ready to send me down to, to get prostaglandins, to like start contractions and let me have that baby because all of a sudden I had this gestational diabetes diagnosis and I have quite large babies. So my, my son was nine pounds seven and he was born at 39 plus four, as I said. And my, my second baby was quite large too. So she was like ready to send me down to, to have that baby like that day. And of course my husband and I are like, we're sort of shocked. Luckily I was educated and I said to her, well, I can't have prostaglandins because I've had the cesarean before. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I missed that completely. Yes, you're right. You don't need to get the prostaglandins. I'm so sorry. We'll schedule you for a section. I was like, oh, whoa. oh my whoa. God. So <laughs> I was just taken aback a little bit like you kind of you go in just expecting to see how things are you don't go in expecting them to like call you like to call surgery and be like okay we're going to schedule this in for x date so uh luckily I was able to get in touch with Deirdre uh, Murphy I sent her an email and I just said this doesn't feel right for me so they had wanted to schedule me in on like the 26th of July or something and I said, it really just doesn't feel right for me. And I'd like to give this some time. So Deirdre came back and she said, look, like the numbers, like my team member is certainly doing what she thought was right. She was following protocol, but I understand that this doesn't feel right for you. And we have to listen to the mother's intuition. And she also said, those numbers were meant to be uh, interpreted much earlier in pregnancy. So interpreting them at 37 and a half weeks gestation is not going to give us an accurate picture of what's going on for you. So, you know, do the diet controlled um, stuff that the nutritionist says for you to do. But other than that, you will be completely fine. And I'll, I'll provide space until the 1st of August. And if baby hasn't come by 1st of August, we'll have you go down for a section. So we'll schedule you for that day. And Cora, I have to say that was all I needed to hear. One, that she understood that a mother's intuition is important. Mm -hmm. And then two, that she said the 1st of August, because that day that I got the positive pregnancy test, I knew my daughter was going to be born on the 1st of August. Don't tell me how I knew it. I don't know, but I just knew that that was going to be the date. So when I saw those two things in her email, I just felt, I felt heard. I felt considered 
And I felt like I'm getting to listen to my body, my intuition, my inner wisdom, my own knowledge. And I'm okay if I should end up with a cesarean on the first, but part of my wish was to go into labor naturally before then to be able to go into labor naturally before going into surgery, if that should happen to be how the delivery was to happen. So um, <laughs> through this series of events, I was actually supposed to get the NCT done on my car and it's gonna sound like way off on the deep end, but I was supposed to get the NCT done on my car on the 26th of July. But considering that we had been scheduled for a section that day initially, I had moved it to the, what day was it? It was moved to like the 31st, whatever this is. The, yeah, 31st of July is what it got moved to. And the woman who was going to do our placenta encapsulation is also a good friend of mine. And I kind of had her on call because we weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, it was very close to the due date. And I said to her, would you just kind of be on call? Like, would you be willing to take our car in for the NCT in case we need it, in case I've just had my baby? And she said, yes, of course. And about four o'clock in the morning again, on the 31st of, or yeah, the 31st of July, I, I just wasn't feeling quite myself. Like I was kind of hungry. So I'd gone upstairs and I had heated up some curry from from the night before and had a snack, but I just felt off. I was like, maybe it's indigestion, I'm not sure. And I texted her just to say, you know, I'm kind of feeling not like myself. I haven't had a lot of sleep. Would you just take the car in? Because I think maybe that's for the best. So I'm not driving it on so little sleep this late into pregnancy. She says, yes, sure. She comes along, she picks up the car. And it's after she's taken the car that I start having labor pains. Like I start having contractions and I'm like, that's not indigestion. I've definitely gone into labor. <laughs> so I get out my birthing ball and I start moving and I'm leaning over it and I'm experiencing labor again, which I'm delighted for because that's what I wanted yeah. all along. And uh, we're trying to call my father-in-law as well, because we're like our one car that we had is off to get the NCT. Right. And my father-in-law was going to be our backup plan for getting into the hospital. So we called him and I guess he kind of thought maybe it was, um, early labor. So he just said, do, do you really need me now? Or could it wait till like seven o'clock this evening? <laughs> Like, is this the real thing or can, can we just like take care of this after our regular work day? So anyway, the, the woman who is our placenta encapsulation specialist and friend comes back with the car and we kind of tell her like, like, okay, I'm in labor now and we're not really sure how we're going to get in. And my husband doesn't have a license. So she ended up being the one that dropped us off <laughs> at the hospital because that was, that was what we had. Like she was there. It was a huge blessing that we aligned her up to take the car for the NCT. Yeah. But she, she dropped us into the coom and, um, we, we waved our goodbyes and she took care of everything else because she's incredible. That's great. She didn't have to worry and, about parking because it's such a struggle to get parking there. That was handy. No, I know it was, it could <laughs> not have worked out better. Like I don't even like my mind is actually kind of blown with how everything transpired. And that's yeah. why I said it, it sounds like I'm going off the deep end, but actually it was so crucial and important to like us getting into the hospital. So when I got to the hospital, labor slowed down a little bit, I think just because 
I had made it to the hospital and that's quite normal, quite a normal thing to happen because I wasn't in like a, a private room like I'd been in with the, the home birth side of things. So I couldn't just make all the lights dark and I couldn't make it as cozy. They were basically just checking me out in the regular room with all the sheets and the lights. And so labor slowed down. Uh, it was really so manageable, like because of how, how much it slowed down. But as it was, uh, as it had been picking up earlier, I was feeling a bit of pain at my scar and I felt like, yes, I could go down this path of trying for the VBAC, but this pain at my scar and the fact that it took me a long time to heal from the prior cesarean, it was like seven months before I was without pain at my scar. Uh, I really felt like maybe I shouldn't test this too much or, or, or go too far with this. So I continued to labor just normally. Uh, they put me on the labor ward. And because I was already scheduled in for a section the next day, like they just let me labor away and, and see how I got on. And I, I had the conversation with them that, you know, really, I think I'm just gonna go with the cesarean. And it's so funny because when you want a natural delivery, you feel like everyone's fighting against you to not have that. Isn't it? You know, I, I hear a lot of people come up in opposition against that. But then I actually found when I was going in for the VBAC and then decided that I was going to accept the cesarean that was planned for me, a lot of the people around me were like, are you sure? But this wasn't part of your plan. Like, you know, you can still continue to labor. We can push that back. And, and I just found it so funny that actually they really did take time to consider like whether or not yeah. this was just a fleeting moment of thought that maybe I'd like to have the cesarean or if this was truly my decision. And it was like, it actually just felt right for me. It felt like the right decision. And this time around, my husband <laughs> did actually come in, in surgery with me. I think he felt a bit more, maybe he was just seasoned, like as a parent, it, it toughened him up. A bit. Yeah. It felt like he could come in. But I was so lucky because actually Deirdre was working that day. So she was able to perform the section and she did. A Everything just fell into place for you. It really, really did. It was like. I walked into the surgery room and it was a completely different experience because in Hollis Street, it was very dark. There were no windows. And then when I went in for the comb, it was like, it was maybe around 12.50 or so in the afternoon. The light was streaming in. Uh, you have to go see an anesthetist before you're due for any kind of surgery. So the anesthetist that I had seen, um, Shakti, I remembered her name. She was she was so brilliant just when I went to go see her for to talk about if I had allergies and all of those things. And so to see a, another friendly face in the room with me, like put me at ease even more. Sun was shining. Deirdre was there to do the C-section. The anesthetist that I had met before that I felt comfortable with, she was there. Everyone around me just seemed to be smiling and happy and very upbeat. And it was such a different experience to the first section. And luckily, because this one was semi-planned, you know, it was like on the books and it wasn't a complete emergency. Um, I still hadn't progressed. So the second time around, it was kind of the same thing. I labored, but never progressed. And uh, they everyone was so at ease because it wasn't an emergency, but also we were able to have the gentle cesarean. So I was able to have the curtain lowered. And when I was pregnant the first time around, the thought of that really didn't sound like something that I would want. But after having my first birth experience and not seeing my son be delivered, I knew that I really wanted that visual of my baby being delivered. 
So they dropped the curtain and I was able to see my daughter being born. They put her on my chest. I was able to have her with me while they were sewing me up. She laid on my chest the whole time. It was a completely different experience altogether. And so it shifted my perspective about cesareans because when I was pregnant the first time around, I really thought that it was like the enemy. You know, it was the Mm. thing that you never wanted to do. And it was a very tough experience and recovery. But this second time around, it was such a positive experience. And again, because of the work that I'd done with my, my personal trainer, the, the recovery was a breeze. Like I couldn't even believe how quickly I was back to being able to stand up and walk around and function and being a photographer and, and running my own business. I was booking sessions like the day after getting home from the hospital. And I was back doing sessions eight weeks after, after um, getting home from the hospital, including traveling to Galway. So one of my clients was in Galway. And so eight weeks postpartum, I was traveling there with my family to go do the photo session, the photo reveal for that family. And it was mind blowing. Like I felt like I was a completely different person the second time Mm. around, but I think all the preparation, whether it was the physical training, whether it was changing my mental state to a much more positive place. um, It was the trust in knowing that I would be okay, no matter what, because I'd been through it before all of that. And I think just whenever you have been a parent, you kind of feel like the learning curve is less steep. Any other, you know, pregnancies or any other labor and deliveries or yeah, (laughs) 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 like with the second child, it just, for me anyway, I know it's not easier for everyone, but for us, we just found it to be so much easier. Um, No, I completely agree. It's on your first, it can be really, really shocking especially in those first few days when you have no idea what to expect, but at least on your second, um, not on every aspect of parenting, but those aspects that you considered shocking on your first, you're somewhat prepared for on your second. So no, I, I completely agree. Yes, even down to like knowing what the second night was when it came to breastfeeding, like yeah. knowing yeah. that this was my son, I had no idea. It was like the second night I was exhausted. Like my husband's um, parents had come by to see us and then they left after visiting hours were over. And I just thought, okay, time to go to bed. But my son had, you know, he was just feeding for hours and hours and hours, like from one side to the other, to the other, to the other. And there was a, a nurse or a midwife who came through in the middle of the night. And she just said, he's doing very important work. He's bringing your milk in. And that was like the magical dust that I needed sprinkled over me in that moment to shift my feelings about what was happening because I felt like we were in partnership rather than him just taking something from me. So I'd had that experience to take in with having my daughter. So I kind of knew like rest during the day as much as possible. Yes, you want to stare at your baby nonstop, but rest when you can rest and then be prepared for that nonstop feeding to bring your milk in. So I had a lot of those things, uh, the things that I learned from the first time around really helped me and assisted me with the second time around and made things much smoother. I also made the decision to stay in the hospital for five days, I think it was, rather than three, because I knew that I had my son at home. So they're exactly two and a half years apart to the day. And I knew that he probably wouldn't understand that I couldn't just pick him up or lift him or play with him. 
So I just decided, you know, I'm going to take that extra time, just heal that much more. And then we can go home and have that transition together. And I'm really actually, um, the first time around, I was so delighted to be home from the hospital as fast as possible. The second time around, I was really happy to be there for the extra time to heal and to have my meals brought to me. (laughs) Absolutely. Those first few days of baby just on your own. Um, are so gorgeous and especially if you're going home to a sibling it's hard for them to process that you're not at their beck yes. and call especially when they're so used to it yes so I'd say the first time around I didn't feel like I birthed my baby I had to process I had to get there the second time around I felt like I birthed my baby and mm-hmm. it made all the difference for me psychologically like to feel yeah. that I felt a connection with my son, of course, and I was so delighted to have him, but it still felt like there was part of me that didn't understand that he was mine through that birth experience. Whereas with my daughter, I was able to see her being birthed and I was able to have her on me for so long, like as they were sewing me up and then in recovery and there was never a separation and it made such a positive difference too. So they're very similar experiences in a way, the fact that they were cesareans, but they're very contrasting and different experiences as well birth no matter what way it happens is an invitation for you to become even more of who you were meant to be it's an invitation to transform because there's no way to go about it otherwise like there's no way to avoid transformation whenever you go through pregnancy and you go through giving birth it is an inevitability but it is a beautiful inevitability and I'm so much more of who I was meant to be because of my birth experiences and because of my experiences through motherhood so um yeah it's been everything for me it's been um an invitation to be closer to myself to find the path to who I was really meant to be and to do things like start my own business to believe it was possible to be inspired every day to um just be connected with who I was meant to be. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. Simply send me an email to irelandsbirthstories at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at irelandsbirthstories. I look forward to bringing you another episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.